Good morning, church. Good morning. So glad to see you here, despite the haze. You know, yesterday the haze was really bad. So hope you can just stay indoors and uh, rest if you need to. And I just want to give a short introduction of myself. Um, why my name is spelled with one M? A number of people have came up to me and asked, "Why your name is spelled with one M? Is it a spelling error? You know, on the birth cert?" So I just want to assure you there is no spelling error. I have an older brother, older sister and myself. I'm the youngest in the family. My older brother is seven years older than me. Um, so basically he was, he was primary one when I was born, right? And he has a very long name, Zachariah. So primary one, I think now, now still is, there's a lot of worksheets in primary school, you know? So you got to write your name and then you answer the questions, correct? For worksheets. And he always felt that he was losing out whenever he write his long name because his friends with shorter name will like write and then attempt the questions already, whereas he has to struggle to finish writing his name. So he came back one day and complained to my parents, so why you give me such a long name? You know, my friends saw Amos, Amy, all so short, you know, can attempt. So my parents tried to help me and shorten my name by one M. <laughs> thinking that you will help me um, attempt the questions, but honestly, I don't even know how to answer the question. The extra time is of no use to me. <laughs> I stare at the question, uh, the question also stare back at me, uh, no use. <laughs> yeah, so basically that is why my name is uh, shortened by 1M, but with that, whenever I put in Emmanuel Go at whatever email domain that I want, I always get it. I don't need to add in any number behind, underscore. So you have that um, struggle, right? Or oh, you have a popular name, you have a common name, uh, yeah, I don't know. So thanks for my parents. So that's, that's uh, the story of how my name is shortened and it's 1M. Um, so if you want to check with them, my, my, my dad is around, uh, but he's hiding, so I don't want to point him out. <laughs> so shall we begin? Shall we just pray before we start? Father, open our hearts and minds as we hear and apply your word in our lives today. May your word come alive and convict us to respond accordingly. May we truly not just be hearers of the word, but instead be doers of the word. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, on my first Sunday service here, um, on first week of August, Pastor Anthony preached on the topic, What's in your hand? I'm not sure whether you remember this topic title. You know, today I want to um, preach on what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Maybe a song sung by this band, not a very popular band, Nickelback comes to mind. The title is What Are You Waiting For? They might not be popular, but their lyrics are definitely meaningful. Lyrics goes like this, Are you waiting for the perfect night? Are you waiting till the time is right? What are you waiting for? Don't you want to learn to deal with fear? Don't you want to take the wheel and steer? Don't you wait another minute here? Don't you wait? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the right excuse? Are you waiting for a sign to choose? While you're waiting, is the time you lose. What are you waiting for? In Luke chapter 24, the disciples were also waiting for something to happen. The disciples were waiting for the promise sent by God. How about you and me? What are we waiting for? Luke chapter 24 was one of Jesus' final words before departing his disciples. Um, his disciples then did not know that Jesus was going to leave them. He didn't give any indication or any hint. But we know, we when we read the Bible in verse 50 to 53, we see Jesus blessing the disciples and then return to heaven. If you were one of the disciples then 
and you knew that Jesus was about to leave, would you pay more attention to his words, to his commands? I believe you and I would, knowing that he is going to leave us physically. Also, the first two commands uh, preached two Sundays ago and last Sunday were a bit more active, assertive. If you can remember, the first was, as you go, make disciples. The second was, as you go, preach or proclaim the good news. But today, the command is a bit more passive. It's to command to wait, to stay. Why is that so? Why was Jesus' command seem more passive in the book of Luke as compared to Mark and Matthew? Jesus said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. Jesus here spoke about the three divisions of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the psalm. By speaking about these three divisions, he basically covered the whole Old Testament. In other words, Jesus was saying that all scripture points to him. Everything that God inspired in scriptures points to him as the Messiah. No matter whether it's the law of God, the words or messages from the prophets, all the praise and prayers in the Psalms, what Jesus is saying is that every part of Scripture points to Him. Every part of Scripture points to Him. So from all of Scripture, I think the key truth that Jesus wanted the disciples to grasp was this. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And it's so important to understand this because if you were a Jew living in Israel at that point of time, you will actually not believe these words. You will think, ah, this one, fake news. You know, last week we learned what is fake news. This, is, this will be one of them. Because in 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul called the message of a crucified Messiah a stumbling block for Jews. The Jews believed that a victorious, triumphant Messiah will rescue Israel from his enemies. How could someone who had died at the hands of their enemies be their Messiah? It seems impossible. It shouldn't be that way. But actually Jesus is saying that their assumption has always been wrong. Suffering and dying were exactly what God had sent the Messiah to do. Just as God has sent the Messiah to suffer and die for us, what has He sent you to do? What has He sent you to do? Like the Jews, we too have an assumption about God. And that what assumption do you have that causes you to wait? For example, we might assume that we need to be free in terms of our time before serving God. We might assume that we need to be holy enough before serving God. Maybe we assume we need to know enough of the Bible before serving God. Or we need to have enough skills before serving God or experience in life before serving God. Or we assume we need AMW root beer float to be blessed first before serving God, based on last week's sermon, the assumption. So all these assumptions, you know, what assumptions do you have about God that causes you to wait? Because the truth is there is no perfect time, situation, excuses or reasons before we can serve God. There shouldn't be, because God is always waiting for you to respond to Him. 
The question is, what are you waiting for? Moving on, Jesus said to the disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. In these words, Jesus spoke of four things. The first was repentance. In Greek, repentance means a change in thinking. In Hebrew, repentance means a change in action. But as we all know, real repentance involves both, both thinking and action. Another story about my name, uh, my Chinese name is Shen Liang. Shen in the Shen, Yue Liang the Liang. Bright sound, if you translate it. Okay, so in Chinese class in school, my Chinese teacher would uh, catch me talking in class. And she would say, Shen Liang, please don't talk. Okay, so it, it translates to those who don't understand. My name is Bright Sound. If I caught talking, don't talk anymore because my full name means no sound. You, you add in the um, surname, which is Wu. It's, uh, it's not really means nothing, but it sounds like nothing. So actually it means no sound. Yeah, so it's very difficult. Uh, can you please understand? It's very difficult to name uh, my children Chinese name because Wu, everything, nothing. <laughs> it negates everything. So my brother had one smart comment, he said, Wu Jiao Ao, you know, something like that. <laughs> Thankfully, we haven't reached a stage yet, we have no kids, so no, no such worry yet. By the time come, we will have to scratch our heads. So we pray for divine uh, knowledge of the Chinese, pray in tongues maybe. <laughs> okay, yeah, so back to, the, back to the story of this, you know, I get scolding by the teacher, uh, and she will scold me and say that your name is Wu Shen Liang. Um, so I'll be like a bit embarrassed, right, in class, and then like, oh, sorry, 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 I don't, don't talk, don't talk, eh. you know, try to keep quiet, but being naughty or being whatever, I will like, I will speak even softer, you know, thinking that my, my soft, think, lowering my volume would not let the teacher know, lah, you know, because I wasn't sitting right in front, I was sitting right in the middle, so lowering the volume, thinking, in my head, it was like, oh, I can get away with it again, you know, so I'll talk to somebody else, softer, but always get caught. La. I don't know how the teachers, their ears are very powerful, very sharp. They can always pick up. Okay, But see, dropping the volume you know, doesn't mean that I'm, I, I was right. Dropping the volume of sin also doesn't mean there is any less sin. Any, and a little less sin does not constitute repentance. Okay, real repentance transforms both thinking and living. If you can remember the story of Zacchaeus, um, who had an encounter with Jesus, had both a change in thinking and living. Zacchaeus said to Jesus, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Charles Spurgeon draws out four aspects of true repentance, illumination where God opens our eyes to the horrible enormity of our sin, humiliation where we lay aside our pride in our own merit, and plead with God for mercy. Detestation, where we begin to hate our sin. And transformation, where we leave the sin we formerly love, not just outwardly, but in our hearts. So let me repeat that again, because I think that's something that is meaningful and powerful. If we can apply it. Charles Spurgeon draws out four aspects of true repentance, illumination, where God opens our eyes to the horrible enormity of our sin, Humiliation, where we lay aside our pride in our own merit and plead with God for mercy. Detestation, where we begin to hate our sin. 
and transformation where we leave the sin we formerly loved, not just outwardly, but in our hearts. And the second thing Jesus spoke of was forgiveness of sin. Jesus' death on the cross was not about heroism, defiance, or standing up to his principle. Jesus' death on the cross was to bore yours and my sins on that cross, which was exactly as prophesied in Isaiah 53, and me reading from the NLT version, yet it was our weakness he carried, it was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole again. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away and we left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on us the sins of us all. So on that old rugged cross, Christ bore your sins and my sins. The third part of what Jesus said is that the message of forgiveness will be preached in His name. If you remember, Pastor Anthony preached there is power in the name of Jesus. Remember his eerie story, for those who were here last week. If you weren't, you can always hear it back on the audio recording. And if at night you hear footsteps walking towards you, what should you do? Don't call Pastor Anthony, that's the, not the right thing. <laughs> she call upon the name of Jesus, because there is power in the name of Jesus. And that power is so powerful that it's able to dispense forgiveness of sins. Eternal life will not come to someone who tries hard to do good works, be perfect in religious activities, or learn every truth is there is in the spiritual realm or spiritual things. None of these activities can save a person's life. But Jesus gives forgiveness as a gift to those who surrender their lives to Him. If you, are, you have not surrendered your lives to, to God, to Jesus, my question to you is, what are you waiting for? The Apostle Peter, who was called to account for the healing of a lame man, told the rulers and elders of Israel, It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter's words were brave as he stood in front of the elders. That day he got his freedom, but was threatened to stop preaching about Jesus. He won't because what he was preaching was true. Forgiveness of sin would go on to be offered in Jesus' name, for salvation would be found in no one else. Amen? Man, the fourth part of Jesus' words was that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations. There were Old Testament prophecies about God that both Jews and Gentiles would put their trust in. Isaiah said God's servant would bring justice to the nation and be a light for the Gentiles. In Isaiah 49.6, it says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Teachers of the law often debated these words in Isaiah. They and most Jews understood that they alone were loved by God. Therefore, Jesus' words that forgiveness of sins was to be preached in His name to all nations would have at least shocked or surprised them. 
because they felt that they were the only chosen people. But Jesus spoke in Mark 13 and in the great commission recorded by Matthew, it was a clear commandment to go and make disciples of all nations. And taking the news of the gospel to the world has always been the plan. Now it is our work. The question is, what are we waiting for? Jesus said in verse 48, You are witnesses of these things. Jesus was not interested to hire a marketing firm to get the good news out to the world. Instead, Jesus wants the disciples to not just tell the truth, but to share their testimonies. The job of a witness is to tell what he or she has seen, heard, and experienced. Let me offer you a superficial illustration here where you know there's a good movie in a theater and a friend, and you heard it from a friend who merely just say, yeah, it's good, you know, based on just him or she watching the trailer, thinking that, yeah, probably a, a good show, compared to another friend who has, told, who has come and told you that this movie is so good, at the end of the movie, I cried. Who would you believe more? Clearly, it's the friend who has watched the whole thing and was moved to tears. Likewise, Jesus wants you who have experienced him to testify the truth of who he is and what you have experienced to your loved ones and friends. He is asking those who have had a personal touch and encounter with him to proclaim the good news. So he wants you and I to be witnesses for him. Are you waiting to witness him or witness for him? What are you waiting for? So see, Church, Jesus told the disciples to be witnesses to the world. Imagine the joy and excitement of sharing the news that Jesus is alive. They wanted to be the first to share the news through their multiple WhatsApp chat, you know, forward, 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 or even through social media to get as many likes as possible. But what were they told? What were they commanded? They were told to wait and stay until they were clothed from on high. Imagine the irony, you know, they as the disciples, they have been with Jesus for three years, you know, they have seen the miracles, they have heard him teach, heard him speak and ultimately witness his death and resurrection. They must have felt that they were ready and adequate to be witnesses for God. What else do they need, right? They might be asking themselves too, what are we waiting for? Shouldn't we be going to the nations to speak, heal and preach the gospel? And just to proclaim that Jesus is alive? They must be so excited then and they find themselves stuck in the room. But I'm sure they weren't just stuck and doing nothing. Even though they were maybe confused and frustrated, the disciples were not playing Candy Crush, chit-chatting, watching Netflix. But instead, what we were told in Acts chapter 1 is that they were constantly in prayer and were planning for someone to replace Judas who betrayed Jesus. Interestingly, the criteria to be qualified was not whether he or she was clothed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has not come yet. The day of Pentecost has not arrived. Rather, it is the, the criteria is whether this person is a witness with the disciples and the resurrection of Jesus. So friends, I want to challenge you, if you have witnessed Jesus, you have experienced Him, you and I qualify to be a disciple for God. You and I qualify to be a disciple for God. 
And what is our job? Our job is to witness for him. But the main reason Jesus commanded them to wait is because he knew that the disciples would not be able to witness to the world with their own strength. They can't do it alone. They can't do it themselves. It's not because they're not powerful enough, but they needed the Holy Spirit to do God's work. Because without that, they will never be able to do God's work without God's power. A clear example is through the life of the Apostle Peter. When Jesus was arrested, he was quick to run away. He denied Jesus three times. But after receiving the Holy Spirit, he was not afraid. He was not afraid to go to jail. He was not afraid to be arrested. Clearly, the disciples needed the Holy Spirit. What about us? Even more so, we need the Holy Spirit in our life to be an effective disciple for God. We need a fire in our, in our spirit to be set ablaze again. For us, maybe some of us, you know, that fire has been extinguished for many years, has been put down. And you just go about your, your daily life not relying on the Holy Spirit. But I want to urge you to be hungry for the Holy Spirit, to want to yearn for it, to desire it with your whole heart and your whole being. Because the Holy Spirit runs to us, comes to us whenever we hunger and we desire it. To be a witness by telling um, your story can be a witness too by being led by the Spirit to share. Basically, tell what you have experienced. That's the job of a witness. What you see, what you hear, you proclaim, you share. It could be your, from your life, it could be from somewhere else, the Bible, it could be from anything. And there are many opportunities, you know, in your life, in your work, in your studies, in your school, with your neighbor, in your daily living. I'm sure there are many opportunities. Or, if you feel that you need some help, can always partner the church. The church has many activities that, that can journey with you and give you opportunities to be a witness. We have tuition programs, Take Gee Senior Activity Center, Crystal Light Methodist Home, Boys Brigade, mission trips, plenty of outreach activities for you to hop on and be a witness for God. Maybe it depends on your schedule, your skill sets, but don't use that as a reason because there is never enough, there is never a season. All we need to do is be willing. So back to the question, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for someone to speak to you? You need a confirmation? Or somebody nudge you to join? Maybe this sermon is a way of nudging you to join. Maybe this sermon is a way of reminding you of what God has spoken to you about. Are you waiting to be nagged at for the younger ones? I hope not. I'm sure you, you will not want to be nagged. Are you waiting for something to happen? You know, a crisis, a bad news before acting. Back to the song sung by Nickelback. Are you waiting for the perfect night? Are you waiting till the time is right? What are you waiting for? Don't you want to learn to deal with fear? Don't you want to take the wheel and steer? 
Don't you wait another minute here? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the right excuse? Are you waiting for a sign to choose? Or your waiting is the time you lose? What are you waiting for? Shall we just take this time to just go to God in prayer and just re-examine and reflect on the opportunities and the encounters that we have with Jesus in our short time or long time as a Christian? When was the last time you encountered God in a personal and real manner? When was the last time the Holy Spirit led you to do something either out of your comfort zone or led you to encourage another person? When was the last time you were used by God to be a blessing? Father, as we ponder, as we pray, as we commit, Lord, I ask that we come before you in humility, Lord. That we ask for your forgiveness in our life. As we come before you as we children of God, may we be reminded that we have such a good, good Father that loves us so much that is willing to forgive us for all the things that we have done or not done. So Lord, as we desire to be a witness for you, as we ask, we ask the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts once again, to set us on fire for you, to give us that desire once again to serve you, to witness for you, proclaim the good news for you, to be a blessing to others for you, and to love you with our heart, soul, and mind. So Lord, may we be a vessel, may we be an instrument that you can use, mold us, shape us, the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.